one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, this is Sam Matterface and welcome to the Game Day Post-Match Podcast from TalkSport, where we look back on all nine weekend games from the Premier League in the company of the former Manchester City and England winger Trevor Sinclair and TalkSport commentator Alex Crook. What a weekend! Chelsea and Manchester United lose their unbeaten records and the Bees sting the Reds. And the final whistle blows and cheers from the Brentford supporters. The most remarkable Premier League football match Big hugs on the near side between Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Frank. The points are shared in this most extraordinary three-all draw. A couple of rogue decisions and Nuno says, it's my fault, but it's not my fault for the third defeat that Spurs have suffered in a row. Hmm. Okay. Elsewhere, what has happened to Leicester? Are Norwich going to win a game before Christmas? And David Moyes says, Leeds are brilliant. They're a great addition to the Premier League. But he said that just after his side had stolen a 90th minute winner at Ellen Road. We can always be generous when we've won. The ultimate review to all the weekend's footballing action. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. This is Game Day. Trevor Sinclair is here. And Trevor... Uh, was very quick to text me after the final whistle on Saturday at Stamford Bridge. So I'll get in early and say that Manchester City inflicted a, a show of strength over Chelsea on Saturday. Um, and we'll get into the detail of that in just a moment. But what was your highlight of the weekend if it wasn't that game? Well, Matt Blackpool played well, I've got to say. Um, I enjoyed their their win at the weekend because it's been a difficult run for them in the Championship since getting promoted. But... It, West Ham were good. It was it was relatively a very very happy weekend for me. I've got to say, Sam. Good, good evening. You literally are just sitting there with a massive <laughs> smile on your face, reveling in the success of your teams. Uh, Crook got to commentate at his beloved Old Trafford. He had to walk two miles from the car park and then had to watch his team produce an ineffectual display. But he did get to spend Friday night in a local Italian restaurant in Didsbury with me and the family. So yin and yang can't have everything. No, clearly that was the highlight of, of the weekend. I actually got a, a cheeky text message from a certain Mr. Sinclair within seconds <laughs> of the full-time whistle at Old Trafford as well. But you know what? The highlight of the weekend uh, was game day. We built it as a monster game day. And I think it lived up to top billing with Manchester City, as you say, getting their own back on Chelsea. Villa with a historic win at Old Trafford and then topped off by that fantastic game at the Brentford Community Stadium at tea time. Yeah, I did say to you that Chelsea and Manchester United's results were better than their performances of late. Uh, I was a bit concerned about Chelsea. And I I did fancy Aston Villa, despite the fact that it was only the third time since 1954 that they won 
at Old Trafford, but they're a good little team. They are. Um, and we might go into it in more detail. I'm sure we will. But I thought Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, in his post-match interview to me, while courteous as ever, was a bit churlish, really, to complain about Villa's winning goal and to complain about players crowding Fernandes mm. for the penalty. What he should have said was, we were poor today. We were beaten by the better side. I thought Aston Villa all over the pitch were superior. They defended resolutely. John McGinn was an absolute terrier in midfield. And Ollie Watkins, in particular, caused all kinds of problems for the Manchester United defence. It wasn't a fluke victory at all. OK, oh, well, we have a naughty little nine to rattle through. So let's start with a monster game day. The floodlights are on. And we have for you yet another milestone occasion on a great sporting day across the Talk Sport Network. But Joss has popped it through the middle and suddenly Mane and Salah is clear on goal! And it's off the line! Mane turns the rebound into the side netting. An extraordinary escape for Brentford. Goalkeeper Ryle is quick of his line to clear. Frenetic atmosphere. And what a flick from Tony to set up on Bumo! Beyond the goalkeeper! Off the line by Matip this time! A carbon copy of what happened at the other end. Norgard steers it down the right-hand side. Canos collects, crosses in low, and it's going to be turned in. It is! And Brentford lead, and it's Ethan Pinnock. Lots of space for Henderson to cross from the right. Jota's header, 1-1. Diogo Jota equalises for Liverpool. And Stuart Atwell has given the goal, and it's a landmark moment for Mo Salah. His 100th Premier League goal in a Liverpool shirt. Here is a cross chipped into the box from Ayer, up to the far post, goalkeeper can't get there, and it's off the crossbar, Ayer's there again, it's in, it's in, Brentford have got themselves an equaliser. Robertson on the far side, knocking the ball back to Jones, he shoots, it's got in, it's all the way through the goalkeeper. Brentford looking dangerous here as they seek an equaliser, Baptiste, great cross, Tony trying to get underneath it, Wiss a far post, might still drop for him, he's done it! Brentford 3, Liverpool 3. Entertainment was sensational. 3-3 with Liverpool. Efforts cleared off the line. Six goals, thriller-minute, topsy-turvy drama and no little quality. The clip of Talk Sports Weekend Breakfast host Natalie Sawyer on the Weekend Sports Breakfast this week clearly voice either thick with emotion or hung over to hell having had the best night of a Brentford supporting <laughs> life gives you an indication of what it was like. It reminded me very much of Portsmouth in the early days in the Premier League when they'd just been promoted. I remember watching Teddy Sheringham score a hat-trick against, it was either Aston Villa or Bolton Wanderers, I can't remember. It was on a Tuesday night and they went top of the table briefly. It was that sort of feeling, wasn't it? I mean, it was a wonderful, wonderful occasion, Trevor. Brilliant game, um, a proper match. You know, I think... Um, there's a couple of little murmurs of a complaint from Jurgen Klopp saying that he had to deal with high balls, but I just thought it was a, it was a great advert for the Premier League. You know, that a newly promoted side, uh, fearless, played with energy, intensity, belief. They have their own style of play. Ivan Tony, I think, is a sensational player. I think, you know, I'm not saying he's too big for that football club, but I think he's a 100% a Premier League player. And if they don't stay in the Premier League, which they look pretty likely to do so, 
he will definitely stay in the Premier League. Well, Crook's um, already sold him, actually. You know, on Saturday, he spoke to Rasmus <laughs> Ankerson and decided that they were going to get 50 million quid. They, they were going to let him go. He's unbelievable. I mean, and, and you look at his story and his history, you know, he's, he, he had difficulties, big bumps in the road. Uh, he's found the resilience to get back. And he's not the only one in that side, but I think Thomas Frank, he manages that group of players really well, prepares them so, so well. And, I just thought it was a great game and, and you know, Liverpool played their part, um, but they didn't roll over and, and accept defeat. And it was a, a magnificent uh, Premier League game that I think is what the Premier League's all about, especially for the new teams that come up and have no fear for the, you know, once European champions. They showed great character, I thought, especially when Jones lashed Liverpool in front uh, with the last few minutes of the game remaining. There was a slight deflection on that. But Brentford substitute Johan Visser finished from close range eight minutes from time to secure the 3-3 draw for the host. Uh, Klopp complained, sideways mentioned, not really complained, but want you all to know that actually high balls into the box are very basic and it hurt us. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was a game plan that a team without employ against a team with, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, and it makes you wonder why more teams haven't tried to exploit Liverpool, particularly on their right-hand side, because Trent Alexander-Arnold had a bit of a nightmare uh, dealing with high balls into his post. But I almost don't want to go all Alan Hansen here because it was such a fantastic game. There was a great moment when the two managers exchanged a smile and a breath of relief almost at full time. But Liverpool's defending was appalling. Um, and if we're talking about title contenders, they are going to have to sharpen that up. I think there is a problem with Trent Alexander-Arnold. He seems to have lost a bit of confidence when it comes to defending his own goal. And <clears throat> Virgil van Dijk didn't cover himself in glory for the Brentford equaliser either. So I'm sure that will be a point of concern for Jurgen Klopp. Having said that, Brentford, as you say, have been a fantastic addition to the Premier League. And But for a brilliant piece of defending from Van Dijk, they could even have won the game later on. It, I mean, it was a w- real roller coaster. And I think another example of how enhanced football as a product is with a full stadium, because it, it would have been a much easier game for Liverpool if that match was played behind closed doors. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also sort of a testament to the approach that Brentford have made to coming into the Premier League. They haven't just sat with 10 men behind the ball. They've developed a game plan that they can mm. use to try and get themselves points on the board. They're a little bit like the Blackpool, Wolves, Leeds, Sheffield United that have come into the division after being promoted and actually made a, a really good fist of it. Yeah, they've stuck to the task. And um, I mean, talk about relationships with the fans. There seems to be loads of them with the players. Uh, we've got a fantastic relationship with that community. And uh, even Canos uh, today in, in the media, he's, he's requested his shin pads back, which, um, you know... He's got during, them back, apparently. Got right, them back. During the melee, he lost his shin pads and he wants them back. But I mean, it is, it's a real feel-good feel about the football club. They've gone into it. They've got no fear. And they're playing their style of football and... Premier League type size, as Liverpool found out, do not like it. Um, but I have to, I, I keep on going back to Ivan Tony, underrated. It won't be for long because a lot of people are talking about him, but just offers so much. His work rate defensively out of possession is absolutely incredible. And then he affects the ball. And one thing that I'm very surprised with, and I shouldn't be because he scored a lot of goals last season, what, 31 goals in the Championship last season. His passing range is sensational. So he's a, he's a real threat for any team playing against Brentford. And yeah, I look forward to seeing him. Um, look, it was it was a great spectacle, a Premier League classic, one of those matches where you sit there and go, yeah, I saw that match. It was absolutely superb. We'll be talking about it for years. 
uh, to come. Didn't feel like that was going to be the case at halftime in the game at Stamford Bridge that I was at. Chelsea against Manchester City. Manchester City winning by a goal to nil at lunchtime. This was Manchester City at their very, very best and Chelsea not at their maximum. To be honest, Trevor, Chelsea were lucky that it wasn't three or four. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Sam. Um, I actually pre- I predicted early doors that Manchester City would have a, a mentality where they were hurting from, still hurting and seething from the Champions League final loss. Um, I th- looking at Manchester City and, and the relationship that Pep has with his players, I would have done exactly the same thing, kind of us against the world. These took a trophy out of our hands. This is the game that we need revenge. And it was quite evident early doors that Chelsea weren't up to task. You know, they were off it. It was scary, the amount of time that was spent inside the Chelsea penalty area with literally light blue bodies swarming all over the Chelsea back line, trying to play out, trying to find a way out to escape, to get clear of their own penalty box. Yeah, I think Reese James was a blow because he, he obviously, I'm not sure he took an injury in the, in the warm-up, but he, he didn't look right. And that's one area where I mentioned to mention on breakfast on Friday that they could dictate play. And, you know, Reese James, I think he's a fabulous player. He's got great physicality. He's got great energy and mobility up and down that right-hand side. And I thought, whether it's Cancelo, whether it's Zinchenko, whoever plays on that left-hand side for Manchester City probably wouldn't would struggle to contain him. He went off and I think that was kind of, it was a bit of a confidence boost for City and they just went from strength to strength. And you could go through players, Cancelo was brilliant. Jesus, out of possession, was outstanding. Kevin De Bruyne, we know what to expect from him. But Ruben Diaz, what a leader he is for that side. And, you know, dragging players around and like literally forcing them and pointing, you know, animating where he wants them from set pieces. Bernardo Silva's energy, you know, Rog, you could go on, Grealish, you could go on through the, the whole side. All of them were eight out of 10 minimum. And Chelsea, shrinking violets, I've got to say, you know, we've heard the phrase, flat track bully about Lukaku. He didn't really do anything and I was expecting more from him. So that'll be a concern for, that'll be a concern for Thomas Tuchel for me. And yeah, they've laid a marker down and, and Chelsea have got a lot of work to catch up. Not, I'm talk, not talking about points, I'm talking about performance and yeah. intensity and desperation to win a football match. Yeah, I, I thought that they missed a couple of key things, Chelsea, and certainly Alonso on the left-hand side did not work at all. When you think how well Chilwell did in the Champions League final and you compare that to Marcus Alonso's yeah. performances, I mean, they just were so off-kilter on Saturday, Chelsea. Their passing range was off. They weren't precise enough with their balls forward. Lukaku was he wasn't as bad as all that. Werner actually running into channels and getting caught in colder stack was a bit more of an issue. <laughs> but Mason Mount's injury and the absence that that caused robbed Chelsea of a major pressing threat at the top of the tree. That sacrificed a creative edge for for central stability by bringing in Conte instead of somebody else. And as a result, Werner and Lukaku for most of the game looked isolated up front, crew. Yeah, Mason Mount was was a big loss. And I think, again, it's an illustration to anyone who still doesn't rate him as highly as they should, just how important he is to this Chelsea machine. But I think it was a very passive performance from Chelsea. Maybe part of that was down to the absence of Mount, as you say, pressing high up the pitch. I think it was a mistake not to start Kai Havertz, of course, who did so well against Manchester City in the Champions League final. And I do think Chelsea posed more of a threat when he came on in the second half. As you say, they, they were off kilter. They were making mistakes they wouldn't normally. Their passing was a bit sloppy. It was a bad day for Chelsea, but take nothing away 
from Manchester City. There was a lot of pressure on Pep Guardiola. You mentioned to me on Friday night that he's never lost four games in a row to the same manager and he wasn't about to start here. That prediction from you proved correct. And I think it's also a message from Manchester City to people like me who've written them off this season because they don't have a number nine. That will cost them in the title race that they've got plenty of talented players that that maybe that won't be as big a problem as perhaps I hoped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, City went above Chelsea as a result of that. And I think there's something in there in that sort of reluctance, that, um, that resilience, that sort of uh, them against us mentality that Trevor mentioned, that Pep doesn't want to analyse individual games. He won't talk about specifics. He wouldn't discuss with me, even like, you know, feelings going into the match. He wouldn't talk about how they won the match. All he would say is, is that um, they'd won three Premier Leagues in the last four years. They'd done so well. They'd gone on runs that nobody else has ever gone on. How could he ever question this team? And he, and I suppose that's sort of, I mean, I, I sometimes, it irritates me a little bit because when you're trying to have a conversation with someone, you're trying to get a specific <laughs> discussion about what happened in this game and he won't engage with you. You just think, you just what you're being very rude. But actually, <laughs> I thought about it over the last 24 hours, really. And I listened to a couple of the other uh, interviews, including Gabriel Jesus, who sort of, sort, of, sort of preaching from the same sort of mm. hymn book. And I, and I thought, well, actually, the reason is, is because they won't talk about individual small moments. They won't talk about matches, goals, incidents, events, mistakes, great moments of fortune. They'll talk about the overall picture. And the overall picture over a body of work is that Manchester City are a very, very successful team. So he can retain that positivity by looking at that overall big picture yeah. as a whole, even when there are serious setbacks. It's a great philosophy as well, because when you've heard, when you hear, and I'm not talking about just recently, I'm talking about in general, when you hear coaches of any kind of um, like level of, of like one things and the respect in the game, when you hear them talk, they don't talk about individual games they don't they, and, they, and what they often say is don't get too high when you win a, a special game and don't get too low and that kind of coincides with what what the players are saying and and actually it doesn't surprise me either that the players are kind of reflecting what he's saying because the players are a reflection of you so the, the fact that Gabriel Jesus scored the winner uh, who you know we've doubted him many times as Manchester City fans and we all want him to do well because we see how much work rate and effort he puts into it. It actually looks like he cares about the football club with his performances and the way he runs around. It's great for the fans. Spoke to a few of the way fans that were at Stamford Bridge and they were buzzing for him, you know, and I'm buzzing for the team. Um, It doesn't take away and it doesn't take any, any disappointment away from the fact that Pep overcomplicated it, in my opinion, in the Champions League final by not playing a defensive midfielder. So there's still doubts whether we can get over the line in that competition. But I just thought there was a lot of retribution shown in that game and they almost bullied Chelsea on the day. And I think to the man, Manchester City were absolutely outstanding. The near post and there's Courtney Hawes! And there is the goal! Aston Villa! May just have won it late in the day at Old Trafford. Bruno Fernandes against Emmy Martinez in front of the Stretford end to salvage a point and he's placed it high into the Stretford end. It's a horror penalty. And Manchester City take the lead. And finally, eight minutes into the second half, Manchester City's quality comes to the fore. Very good afternoon to you wherever and however you're listening to Talk Sport 2 on this monster game day. 
Allen tries to bring it away. He's joined in by Damari Gray. Gray slips into Corey. To Corey in the area. 2 0. That's it. Points are safe for Everton. The Watford fans, you can hear singing because they have just equalised Alfie Reynolds. And Ismail Assar has his fourth goal of the season, heading in unmarked at the back post. And Jamie Vardy scores his third of the afternoon, the second in the right net, finished very smartly from a, a tightish angle. And Leicester have been knocking at the door. They finally got back on level turn. You can hear the noise away to my right. And that means that West Ham have grabbed what is surely going to be a last gasp winner. It's Mikel Antonio. Who else? Whistle far post. Might still drop for him. He's done it. Absolutely incredible. Johan Whistle with his first ever Premier League goal. Never right off Brentford. Manchester United were beaten at home by Aston Villa by a goal to nil and Aston Villa claiming just the second victory over Manchester United at Old Trafford in 38 years. Bruno Fernandes missing an injury time penalty which is, I think, just about now on its downward trajectory to Earth after (laughs) bumping into the Moon, Venus and Mars. But both teams had a plethora of chances. Watkins had a great chance. Target had the best chance in the first half. Greenwood had a chance where he literally took on the whole Aston Villa defence and didn't square it when he should have squared it. Pogba had a header which went just narrowly wide. It looked as if it was just there's going to be no goals whatsoever until the 88th minute when Courtney Hawes flicked in that uh, corner beyond David De Gea. I don't think this goal should have stood. I agree with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It was offside. And, okay, if you say it's not offside, then Brighton should not have had the benefit from the previous week where two Leicester goals were ruled out. Because David De Gea has his movement restricted by Ollie Watkins, who is in an offside position. And if you go back to last Sunday and compare that to the two Barnes incidents in front of Robert Sanchez, there's no comparison because... Barnes isn't even touching Sanchez, whereas Watkins is all over David De Gea. So I cannot understand, and I've read through the laws of the game, it should be ruled out. Yeah, quite possibly. Although I remember last weekend we were maybe saying that Leicester could feel hard done by, but you're right to highlight the differences. I don't think De Gea, even without Watkins impeding him, is going to get there anyway. It was a terrific delivery. Uh, You mentioned in the preview podcast, Austin McPhee, the Viking-like figure who was uh, really quite active on the touchline, actually, on Saturday afternoon. Um, So clearly that was a set piece that he would have devised. It was a great delivery. He's the set piece coach, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant header. Um, So maybe Ollie's got a point, but I would put a big caveat there and say that he's asking 70,000 people who were present to disbelieve what they were seeing with their own eyes because... Aston Villa deserved to win the game. Yes, Manchester United had some chances in the first half. Maybe if Greenwood does tap the ball back for Bruno Fernandes, the outcome is different. But they didn't get going after half-time. They were, they were nothing short of appalling for the first 20 minutes in the second half. Then they lost Maguire to an injury. It took a long time, actually, for Oli to realise that he wasn't able to continue. Good 10 minutes between him first going down and Victor Lindelof actually being brought on. And from that moment on, they were waiting to be beaten, really. And I do worry about the shape of this Manchester United team. And a lot of supporters were talking about it when the team sheets came in. I think you felt, Sam, at the start of the season that the the, the McFred partnership would be broken up 
it hasn't been. Mm. And that's a problem going forward because Pogba looks like a fish out of water on the left-hand side. He constantly wants to come in field. It's blocking a path into the team for Jaden Sancho because if you play Pogba in a two-man midfield with McTominay, which is what I would do, then all of a sudden Greenwood comes across the left-hand side and there's a space on the right-hand side of that three for Sancho. So I think sooner or later, he's going to have to make a brave and bold decision. I'm not sure you need two holding midfielders against Aston Villa at home. I think the Manchester United way is to be brave, to play on the front foot. And almost by having those two holding midfielders, they just invited Villa to come onto them. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United uh, role of honour over the course of the last few weeks. Lose at Young Boys, win at West Ham after a last-minute penalty miss, lose at home to West Ham in the Carabao Cup, lose at home to Aston Villa, seven wins, one clean sheet in their last 16 matches. And he said last week, sometimes we look too much into the little intricacies in terms of coaching. One might say, Trevor, that maybe they don't look enough into the little intricacies. Yeah, I think it's, it is the intricacies that make the difference. Tiny bits of detail, um, specific pieces of information for players, reminders for, for elite players is huge for me. You know, there's so many things to take on board, whether it's in possession, out possession, set pieces, movements, triggers when to press, when to sit off and, and communication. There's so many things to talk to players about and coach. And, and I think that's what makes a coach, especially the reminders and, and, and the detail. And something's not going right because the, the, the consistency of performance and the results, likewise, are not been good enough for Manchester United. I said last season, um, you know, it's great getting Cristiano Ronaldo in and it, it's also great getting Sancho in because, you know, he was playing superbly well at Borussia Dortmund. I think it was a great signing for Ram because that was an area where they were short. But when you look at Cristiano and you look at the signing of, of uh, Sancho, I don't actually think they were real necessities. Great signings. Yeah. Lovely. You know, Cristiano's done very well, but they have got Edison who does a similar job. Uh, Greenwoods is actually keeping Sancho out of the team now because he's had a bit of a slow burner to restart at Manchester United. But the big problem was the holding two midfielders. And it's, yeah, it's, you'd have it's, spent the money if you had a time again on Camavinga. It's so evident. And I, I mentioned last Jack year, I said, I said last yeah, year, one of those Rice two. and Suchek would walk into, both of them would walk into Manchester United's team and people were laughing at me and saying, what are you talking I stand by that. Both of them have great attributes. If you're going to play a two, you need one who can get box to box, which Suchek does superbly well. And you need one who can read the game and is a fantastic fo- footballer, which Rice is. And both of them two are exactly what Manchester United need. Unfortunately, I feel McTominay has got bits of what he needs in that position and Fred has got bits of what he needs in that position, but both of them don't hold the the, the real cards and, and the necessary skill levels to be that Manchester United holding midfielder. And unfortunately, that's hurting them at the moment. Yeah, it's like a little bit like they've got some great talent right at the top of the pitch. Some pretty good talent at the back end as well with Varane and Maguire and Shaw and David De Gea, who's actually played quite well so far this season. Yep. And there's just nothing to connect it in the middle, which is, is a bit of an issue. I think there's a slight issue with Cristiano as well, as much as he... As... Well, with Cristiano, we're first nine terming him now, are we? I mean, it's no longer Ronaldo, <laughs> just checking. You know, WhatsApp, are we on with him as well? Him and Ronaldo and Aaron Ramsdale in a little group with you? <laughs> I think it is a problem because he is a player now who needs to be serviced. He's, he, he did try and drop deep at times, but he wasn't particularly effective at that. He isn't a player who, like the Ronaldo during his first spell, is going to pick up the ball on the halfway line and run at players and, and really put teams on the back foot. So if you don't service him, as Manchester United didn't really at the weekend, he can look very ineffective. And that's another area I think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to have to, to work on. And the other problem is Luke Shaw. 
um, who for me has probably been one of the most improved players in the Premier League over the last 12 months to such an extent United dedicated four pages to his last year in the match programme but when he went off injured they had nothing coming down that left-hand side with no. Diogo Dallo. Nothing at all. Well, Dello's not a left-back for a start. He's a right-back. I know he has played left-back at times. And Tellez isn't anywhere near what uh, the boy sure is. So I do hope it's not a long injury because there's quite a few England players that have picked up injuries going into uh, their upcoming games. Maguire, Shaw, uh, Mount, obviously, as well. Chilwell hasn't played any football. It's like... He, he, Bamford didn't play at the weekend either. But anyway, that's a, a discussion for another day. I think us, um, us, us trio could play against Andorra and they'd be okay. Well, I'm going to Andorra <laughs> for four days. So I'm actually expecting to get called up in the November international break by Andorra. Um, the, uh, Disgrace. The, 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 the penalty, the, the, the Manchester United penalty that they got right at the end of the game, we should touch on this because it is ludicrous because there's no way that in the real world that, that it should be a penalty because... Courtney Hawes has jumped and as he's coming down, his hands are sort of coming down by his side as well. And the flick by Cavani is within four yards of him. There's no way he can get out of the way and it just hits his arm. I, I think it's, I think that's a wrong decision actually. And I don't think that is his body being made unnaturally bigger, but I suppose the big decision is what happens next, isn't it? Who takes the penalty? We, we have Fernandez taking, he scored 42 of his last 45, 22 of his last 23. Um, he steps up to take the penalty and obviously we know what happened next. But Emmy Martinez, I mean, it was it was textbook <laughs> amateur uh, psychiatry, wasn't it? He, he went right into the minds of Fernandez by going up to Ronaldo and saying, I want you to take it. Go on, you're the best player in the world. You put one past me. And then he did that little jig where he sort of almost sort of rubbed his groin against the post. Like he was dancing in a nightclub at 3am and it had far too many uh, Alco pops. It was, yeah, it was just great theatre at the end of what was, a, a, yeah, I suppose, a, a very good win for Aston Villa. Yeah, and a really good game, actually, um, to commentate on a, re a really good story for them. And the delight in Dean Smith's face afterwards was um, palpable. And he, he said, you know, our fans have suffered a lot of this ground down the years. And being a, a Villa fan, he, he knows all about that. But I just think Fernandez put himself under pressure. Obviously, Martinez added to that pressure. But you can imagine as he stepped up to take that penalty in front of the Stretford end, Ronaldo's eyes burning a hole in the back of his jersey. You say, <laughs> you say, I wonder who takes the next one. I think we know for certain who's going to take the next one. Ronaldo actually let Bruno Fernandes take the first direct free kick of the game. He smashed it straight into the wall. He didn't get another one. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Arsenal 3, Tottenham Hotspur 1. Arsenal produced a superb first half display to beat North London rivals Tottenham 3-1 and leapfrog their neighbours in the Premier League table. Spurs had absolutely zero answer. Uh, for their host, who was spurred on by Academy graduates Emil Smith Rowe, Bakayo Saka, and uh, their captain Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, who scored as well. Um, look, Nuno afterwards said, "Performance no good, game plan no good, decisions no good." And then said, "When you have a game plan, you have to take responsibility to put the players on the pitch to execute the game plan." And I made the wrong decisions on players. Or, he said, the players didn't make the right decisions to execute the game plan. It, depending on how generous you are being about interpreting his words. But either way, clearly there is a major, major problem at Tottenham. And I think we said earlier in the season, that back four, and it's the same back four today that started the season that kept those three clean sheets, were not good enough. And they were abysmal today. Yeah, they were. They were an absolute shambles from start to finish. And um, I think Arsenal actually probably took their foot off the pedal in the second half. Otherwise, it, it could have been an even more embarrassing scoreline. He's, he's got so much work to do there. You know, the, the back four just looks like they're going to concede goals all the time. Hugo Lloris, I think, is probably coming to the end of his time as a as a top goalkeeper. Maybe he's already reached the end he's of his time. He's made two or three massive saves as well, by the way. You know, it could have been a lot worse. Pierre Hoybier in midfield is starting to play like the Pierre Hoybier that often went missing in action when times were hard at Southampton. And you've got the Harry Kane issue. Um, just You can't see where his next Premier League goal is is coming from. We had a couple of Tottenham fans call the boot room on Sunday night and <laughs> suggest that he's to blame. I'm not sure I go quite that far. But well, Daniel Ali, Levy's to blame. Daniel Levy's Daniel, to blame because Daniel Levy should have sold him for £125 million and allowed the new manager to rebuild his team. But as we said all the time, and I got shouted down when I said it was a lose-lose situation now that they didn't accept the money. But it's true because Harry Kane hasn't scored a Premier League goal. He gave the ball away for the third goal. Um, fewer touches than anybody else that played 90 minutes today. Fewer touches than anybody else who played 90 minutes. Yeah. Going into the game, he'd averaged 1.25 shots per 90 minutes in the Premier League this season, which places him near the bottom of the 45 forwards that have played at least 50% of Premier League minutes this season. And today he had three uh, shots, one on target. I mean... He it's clearly not working for him for whatever reason, but that whole team, if you look through it, it needed serious improvement. They haven't got the money to do that. Daniel Levy has made a, 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 a bad calculation, I think, Trevor. Yeah, um, I've been in a situation not too dissimilar to Harry's when I was at Q Queen's Park Rangers. And it's one of them where you sign for a club, which I signed for QPR. I was happy to sign the contract. They sold Les Ferdinand, sold Darren Peacock. The club brought in, without being disrespectful, players that weren't at that standard. All of a sudden, the results... Like who, Trevor? Who didn't you like? Who did, who did you think? I did like who, them, who but they, they weren't as good. Come on, Relax yourself. <laughs> and, and what happens is you, you, you feel like your ambition is not being matched by the football clubs. Now, it, you try... Just texting Andy you, you, MP, hold on. <laughs> No, Impy was already there, you naughty boy. You, you, you get your head down. It was the Australian bloke who played up you, front you with a bald head. Your, 
Stop talking. You try and get your head round it. Listen, who's gonna who's gonna live up to Les Ferdinand? Let's get it right. So you try and get your head round it. You feel you, you've got yourself into the. You know he's playing well for England. He's he gets to the final of England uh, at the Euros in the, in the summer, and then he comes back and he's back with a Tottenham side that's that's gradually getting worse individually, collectively, results wise, and it's very difficult mentally to get your head. He was trying. I mean, look at the goal that he, they conceded where he, he, he gave the ball away. Um, Paula didn't pick the right decision out on the ball. Then he ran back the whole length of the pitch to the edge of the box, made a sliding tackle on Saka. So he's not like, he, and then it obviously deflected and Saka. Yeah, yeah. I actually it's checked like my fancy trying. team to see if I got an assist for that because he set up Saka's <laughs> goal, didn't he? I feel for him. I feel for him because I feel, I, I, I agree with you, Sam. I feel Daniel Levy should have sold him for the right money, which probably would have been in and around 120 million. I don't think he would have been playing like that because the brain is such a powerful thing. And yeah. when you have a situation that he's had in the summer, I just think it's finding it very difficult to get hold of. I, I don't know when he's going to snap out of this. And it's, it's a really difficult position for Tottenham to him, but definitely Nuno, because for, if I was Nuno, I'd drop him because he's, he's playing that poorly. Danny Dickey has scored 20 goals for Queen's Park Rangers in the league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he wouldn't get into uh, Trev's testimonial team. Um, yeah, it's a real problem for them because Arsenal, obviously, and, and looking at Mikel Arteta, and we've sort of given him a real load of stick on yeah. this show for not setting his team out properly. But he's sort of got... In, he's got a, a basis of a team now, hasn't he? He's got that back four sorted out. It's the first time, I think, for a long time, probably since they won the FA Cup final, in which he seems to be happy with his back four, which is Tierney on one side, Tommy Yashu on the other side, and then White and, and Gabriel in the centre. I mean, he's still not 100% secure, but he's getting there. And of course, Aaron Ramsdale, Crook's favourite guy in goal, <laughs> um, one. which is in, in, important. And um, But look... We should credit them for what was a terrific first 45 minutes. They were absolutely brilliant, Arsenal. Okay, they were playing against Spurs and that defence is a real, real issue. But it's going to make those supporters in North London feel very good. I mean, Perry Groves has had to put up with some serious stick from us on a Sunday afternoon for a long time. But he loved his little pint after the the, the show today because he was... He, he was impressed with that first 45 minutes, and I think everybody was. Uh, also on Sunday, Southampton play Wolves. Now, anyone listening to the preview pod knew that it wasn't going to be entertainment galore. Uh, Southampton have won four Premier League games in 27. That's 27 Premier League games. They've won four of them since they beat Liverpool and Ralph cried. Um, and the three, the four teams that they've beat, Sheffield United, Fulham, Burnley and Crystal Palace. And bearing in mind, Crystal Palace had given up the ghosts uh, during the end of that uh, part of the season. That is a bit of a worry, isn't it? How long is that going to be able to continue? It is a worry. And uh, I've been fairly positive about Southampton and their performances this season. But I came away from commentating that game, um, A, struggling to stay awake and B, concerned. Um, and there are, there are a lot of things wrong with Southampton. For a start, to shoehorn Livramento into the team, and I think he's a very good player, you know that. Carl Walker-Peters is having to play as a left-back. Carl Walker-Peters was one of their better players last season, maybe a contender for player of the year. He's not a left-back. He doesn't have a left foot. He looks uncomfortable trying to take on players on the left-hand side. He's constantly coming infield. That's an issue. James Wall-Prowse was off the pace, and I spoke to Ralph, as you know, Sam, on Friday. It was his 101st. Uh, Premier League appearance in succession. That's a record for a current player. But Ralph did say during the course of our chat that he's had some stomach issues, had some dietary problems. 
he didn't look fit, um, which is unusual for James Ward-Prowse. His delivery was off kilter as well. Adam Armstrong looks like he's struggling to come to terms with the pace of the Premier League, having made a good start with a goal on his debut. So there were problems all over the pitch for Southampton. And I just can't see where the goals are coming from, either from Armstrong and, and Shea Adams in terms of scoring uh, regularly up front or from midfield. Romeo doesn't score any goals. Redmond scored one goal in the Premier League in the calendar year. James Ward-Prowse doesn't really score from open play. I think it's going to be a long, hard season. Actually, Redmond scored the best goal of the weekend, I think, actually. But it was a yard and a bit offside, sadly. Mm. Um, Wolves did score. And wow, what a great headline it is to see Raul Jimenez score once again. And it was a brilliant, brilliant goal in that he showed great strength on the halfway line, shrugged off the defender, Bednarek, cut in field, then sold Salusu for a hot dog. I mean, I mean, I don't know where Salusu is now, but he's like literally off the side of the pitch <laughs> waiting for the game to end because he was so embarrassed by diving in and missing completely. And then he just slots it past the goalkeeper. It was brilliant. And the joy that it brought yeah. to him, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't, help but be touched by it, I think. Yeah. After no, all he's been through. Yeah. I mean, what he's been through. And, you know, when it, it, it kind of, you remember it when he takes his um, protective uh, headband off at the end of the game and you see the wounds that he bears. Um, for me, I, I was absolutely over the moon for him. You know, I've got no affiliation with Wolves, um, but I understand heartache and injury for a player and I've not experienced anything like what he's experienced where, you know, you would have said he's every right to give the game up when he had that head injury, breaking his skull and, you know, the the, the, the surgery he had to have and to come back and then find it very difficult. You know, you, you, you're really getting deep into the resilience of anybody and then for him to just continue and have that drive to play and, and keep going and keep keep trying. And then and when the goal comes... It was an absolute worldy. Delighted as a fan, as a human, just really pleased for him and I hope he continues that form. Leicester 2, Burnley 2, booze at halftime and full-time at the King Power Stadium, which I must say seems a little bit excessive, Alex Crook, bearing in mind that they won the FA Cup uh, in May. Uh, Jamie Vardy scoring an own goal, but rescued a point for Leicester and kept winless Burnley waiting for their first victory of the season. Yeah, Jamie Vardy, the first Leicester player uh, in the Premier League era to score at both ends in the same game. But you're right, I think it is harsh on the, uh, from the Leicester fans to, to boo the team. They've clearly got issues defensively that they badly miss for Farner. Obviously, he's a long way from returning after that horror injury suffered in preseason. They miss Johnny Evans as well. They look like a team who are going to concede goals. And it's been an underwhelming start to the season. I think we all felt that maybe they were best equipped of those teams outside, the, the, the four that we expect to fill the Champions League places to mount some kind of challenge. At the moment, it isn't happening. And you have to say they were quite fortunate not to lose the game. It was the f most marginal of offside calls. It was the correct offside call. But you look at the defending and this the build-up for Chris goal. Wood's goal right at the end, yeah? Yeah, but you look at the defending for that Chris Wood goal. I think really that lay bears Leicester's problems and why they need Johnny Evans fit as soon as possible. They need some leadership in that back line. Yeah, Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to be able to rely on Johnny Evans forever, sadly. So they're going to need to get other ways of dealing with the situation. Brendan Rodgers has got to come up with something because the season started absolutely brilliantly for them in the Community Shield. But that Fafana injury, I think, is the key one as well because you don't have to coach Fafana through a game. From what I understand, you have to talk 
Soyuncu through every second yeah. or of every game in order for him to get through it without making a mistake. Um, look, Burnley, they're really struggling, aren't they? I mean, because they're not actually playing that badly, but they just cannot, for the life of them, get points on the board. Don't worry, folks. Norwich next week. Um, they have to use everything in their armoury, Burnley, because if you look at the resources they've got, they're less than most of the teams in the league. Yeah, and they're not alone in terms of time-wasting. Emmy Martinez was doing that from the start of the second half, nil-nil at Old Trafford at the weekend. Edison was doing it at Stamford Bridge. Over every goal kick. So, listen, I think if you start whinging and whining about stuff like that, then you're clearly under pressure, as Leicester seemed to be at the moment. I actually think Burnley played well in the game. As you say, terrific goal. Shame for Cornet that he then had to hobble off, and you hope he's not going to be sidelined for any prolonged period of time because they need all the quality players they can get. Next weekend's massive for them because if you can't beat Norwich, you're in huge trouble. But I think this just might be the game that kickstarts their season. What the one Newcastle won? Steve Bruce, talking of under pressure, believes Newcastle have to be more clinical after Watford denied their Magpies a first win of the season. Uh, Newcastle entered the game with just two points on the board. They went into the lead. Sean Longstaff scored a cracking goal. Actually, he had a, an effort just before that, mm. which he was slightly off radar with. And then a great chance afterwards that he also should have scored with. He could have had a hat-trick, actually, but he did score an absolute belter from 20 yards. But then in the second half, Ismail Asar scores a header. Now, look, Ismail Asar can score against anyone, but not usually with his head. And the (laughs) fact that he was able to do that at the far post, I think would be disappointing for Steve Bruce. Yeah, it will be. And and you look at the performance, the chances that uh, Newcastle created, I thought they were excellent apart from that final touch. You know, St. Maxim had chances. Um, Longstaff, like you said, could have scored. I'm right at the end as well. And, you know, it's it's about taking chances. Murphy's chance. I'm not sure what he's thinking because he has been quite a good finisher when he gets into situations. He scored a couple of good goals for Newcastle, but you have to win them games and you have to make them opportunities count. And Newcastle didn't do that. And I feel for him because they're almost doing everything. They almost did everything right in that game. Uh, really entertaining game. I thought, you know, Watford played their part, but Newcastle certainly had the, the lion's share of opportunities. And in them games where they're on top, they've really got to make it count and take all three points. And when Murphy goes through one-on-one with the goalkeeper, there's a wonderful bit of uh, local radio commentary in which John Anderson, who is the summariser, I think either BBC Radio Newcastle or something like that, um, as he goes through and the commentator says, and it's Murphy's one-on-one with the goalkeeper. And he then misses the shot. And John Anderson, who is... Th- the summarizer just shouts over, so just put it in the goal, man. <laughs> it's it brilliant. It was like full of emotion. Oh. It was it was fantastic. Um, the, the Hornets themselves thought that they'd won the game because three minutes from time, Josh King scores, but he is offside. VAR, I think, correct uh, with oh, yeah. that one. Good but, celebration. Yeah, great celebration. Only sort of curtailed, obviously, because of the... Uh, situation but will he get will he get his yellow card rescinded because the goal was disallowed do you know what I actually thought that because <laughs> he took his top off didn't he and, and actually obviously he had a nowadays, on. You, when you take your top off if you haven't got a shirt underneath the shirt you've got this sort of like um stats bra on haven't you wonder bra yeah yeah um and so he sort of loses his impact really I'm not really sure the sort of reason for doing so because you're not really sort of taking your shirt because you can't see anything uh, but yeah, I wonder whether or not, because the goal was disallowed, does that mean that that whole period is chalked off and he doesn't get the yellow card? Because actually, how bad is that if, 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 mm. if that's what happens? Yeah. Can, you imagine, can you imagine getting sent off for two yellow cards for over-celebrating and both the goals have been disallowed? That would be terrible, wouldn't it? 
Uh, Leeds United won West Ham 2. West Ham boss David Moyes described Leeds as a brilliant addition to the Premier League after his side snatched a 2-1 win at Ellen Road. Antonio's last-minute winner clinched all three points for the Hammers. It was a good finish, wasn't it? It did well. And I thought that uh, Declan Rice's involvement in the goal was pretty impressive. But they were 1-0 down at half-time. Rafinha's effort putting them in front. Um, But Junior Firpo, can we talk about his positioning for the goal which leads to the West Ham equaliser. Because he, I, from what I remember, is supposed to be a left back. However, he seems to have vacated that whole area in, in the left back zone and wandered over the other side of the field, got a little bit lost as to where he was. And Bowen, who is now in that zone where he should be, sends his sort of second half cross shot into the box and Furpo all bemused, sticks out his hip and it deflects it beyond the goalkeeper. And actually, for the second goal, he's nowhere to be seen. Was it his hip or was it his backside? I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I was going to say he made a bit of an ass of himself. It was, it was his batty. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, it was it was poor though, wasn't it? Um, that's but, what that's what that's what West Ham do to teams now. They bamboozle them no, so no, much no, 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 they no, don't no, know where they're supposed no, to be. I'm on not the pitch. sure that's true. That's <laughs> crooky. You seen it last? No, I think they've been brilliant. But even David Boyes <laughs> turned around and said, "You know, I was pretty surprised that Mikel Antonio popped up with the winner today because he did absolutely nothing for the previous 89 minutes of the game." Um, but look, you know, apart from that, he gave a little bit to uh, Melier, didn't he? When he, they went up for a challenge, but. Um, Look, they'll be delighted, West Ham. They've gone up to seventh in the Premier League as a result of that and a terrific performance. Um, and finally, and finally, uh, it seems to be sort of almost a tradition now, Everton beat Norwich by two goals to nil. Andros Townsend saying that he's loving life at Everton, stressing there's loads to come uh, from his teammates after their good starts of the season. He's scored his fourth goal in all competitions this season. I mean, it's a terrific return for him, bearing in mind that he didn't score that many goals when he was at Crystal Palace. Um but did they get a little bit fortunate with the Alan penalty uh, when Kazak uh, swipes out his foot? I, I've seen it a few times now, and I, I think Kazak goes for the ball, completely misses the ball, and kicks Alan. I mean, it's, it, it's not; it doesn't hurt. I mean, let's be honest; it's a tiny little tap, really, more than anything else. But <laughs> it is a penalty, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not quite as conclusive and definite on it as Alan Shearer was on television on Saturday night. He made it sound like the most stonewall penalty ever. Which it wasn't, um, I don't think. Really. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was. But listen, it was clumsy from Kabak and that probably sums him up as a defender based on what we've seen in the Premier League. It was just another dreadful performance from Norwich. Maybe um, the worst of the bunch so far. Six defeats, minus 14 goal difference. Didn't really lay a glove on Everton. Right, Gibson's had a good chance from a, from a set piece, but that really looked like the only way they could possibly score I think a lot of the new signings are floundering a bit in, in the Premier League. And you do wonder how many points they're going to get now between now and the end of the season. I take no pleasure if they end up with uh, a record points tally. But that's not true, no is it? You'll take a lot of pleasure. And you no, can't no wait. Pleasure. In fact, no you've actually told me privately, you can't Crookie wait for that to happen. So you can text need... Brian Gunn. You've, you've said it. I know you have. Crookie doesn't <laughs> need any help burying him when it comes to Norwich fans. Believe you me. Um, but they were poor. Yeah, know, but have I been buried, Trevor? Or, or are some Norwich fans starting to think there was actually quite a lot of truth in what possibly, I was saying? Possibly a little bit of both. Yeah, just they're struggling. Um, obviously, brilliant last year, getting promotion. Um, I think it's that This is the Premier League, Trevor. They've lost 16 straight class, games in yeah, the Premier jumping League. jumping class. The players that have come in, unfortunately, haven't found the feet yet. 
the physicality, the intensity, the sharpness. And yeah, I'm not sure they've got the answers in their, within their squad unless they change something dramatically. I can see it continuing like this. It's not, not funny though. I mean, uh, we, we have a laugh and a joke of it because Crookie's caused a bit of an issue down in Norwich and it's all been a bit of banter and fun. But actually, in, in the truth of the matter is if they lose every game this year, which I'm sure they won't, but they have done up until this point, that's not a good thing. No, no, it's not good for the Premier League. Um, and it's not good for Norwich City either and their fans and and, the, and actually the brand of football um, the Premier League wants to bring, which is competitive. And they've earned the right to be there. It's just that they they don't seem to have the answers when they get there. And it, let's hope they can sort that out because you don't want every team turning up playing against Norwich saying, oh yeah, that's three points in the bag because it just... It just Makes a farce of it all. Stop! Stop nodding. Why are you nodding? You can't do that. It's, <laughs> you're being you're being naughty again, aren't you? <laughs> I was just agreeing with what Trevor was saying. That was all. Um, they've got Burnley next weekend. Burnley haven't won at home since January. Norwich haven't won since the old King died. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating game, isn't it? Uh, actually, I, is it going to be a fascinating game? I'm actually looking forward to finding out what happens in the match. Uh, but obviously between now and then there's quite a lot of football, including Champions League and Europa League football as well. Uh, Manchester United uh, taking on Villarreal on Wednesday night. Crookie's going to that one, aren't you? Excited about that? Uh, less excited than I was um, <laughs> on Saturday. Um, <laughs> you, still I, still, you still haven't paid me for the tickets. Well, that's how unexcited I am, yeah. <laughs> right, OK. I don't think that the fact that you, you get the tickets for free just because you're not as enthralled by the prospect of going as you once were. I was going to wait for the result. If, if, if they win, I'll pay you. If they don't, then, uh, you know, it might be an IOU. No, right. listen, it's a big game. It's a big game for United. Uh, second of three crucial home games in a week. We've got the Everton game uh, next Saturday live on game day. I think they need to win both, really, to, to start to get this season back on track, even at this early stage. Trevor Tinclair, thank you very much for your time and energy you. tonight. Crook, thank you very much for almost behaving for the entire <laughs> podcast. We appreciate that. And uh, we'll be back on Thursday afternoon, uh, around about five o'clock. When you're about to go home, you can download our podcast to preview all the weekend's action. We'll have all 10 games previewed. Thank you very much for downloading. And thank you for listening to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. Make sure you tell all your friends about it. Because as Darren Lewis has already pointed out this week, because Crook, Trevor and I all think it's absolutely brilliant, that means that that, that, that it is brilliant because it's a very small sample is, is okay. Like West Ham had kept three clean sheets in, in four games. So they had a great defence and they were definitely going to keep a clean sheet this weekend. What was that score again? I can't remember what it was, Crook. What, what was it? <laughs> did he say they were going to keep a clean sheet for 18 minutes? Because if he did, he was correct. <laughs> yes, he was. He was right. He was right. Like that. Small, he, small print. What he didn't tell us is, is that if he, if, if the lead score... He said he would buy us all dinner. So guess where Lovely. we're going next week. Uh, right, that's it from us. We'll see you soon. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.